Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everyone. It is Wednesday, and welcome to the Talking Comics Podcast. You're listening to episode number 353. I am your host this week, Joey Bracino. Uh, Steve is out on medical this week. We wish him well and a quick recovery, but he's handing me the con. <laughs> I am joined this week by Mr. Bob Ryer. Happy Jack Kirby's birthday. Yeah, 101, man. Uh, and Melissa Megan. Hey, boss man. Hey, how's it going? Can, can I call you boss man all you, night? Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, if you do it with like a like a Eastern European accent. Oh, God. <laughs> I can't um, do that. <laughs> we had a cool show for you this week. We have a lot, ton of great comics to talk about. Two of our pod favorites, Kelly Thompson and Cullen Bunn, had two new number ones this week. We'll talk about an open discussion. Um, we have a question that I came up with, and there was a little bit of news going around the Twitter sphere this week that uh, we would be remiss not to talk about. Um, but we're actually going to start the show this week with a very special guest. Um, Talking Comics contributor, Mr. Lee Henry, is here to talk about his experiences at FlameCon a couple weeks ago. Um, welcome to the show, Lee. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the applause. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Our pleasure. Um, so, Lee, we always like to start with our guests, just a little bit of kind of a comic book origin story. You know, what's your shtick? What do you like? You know, what do you write for Talking Comics usually? Um, tell us about yourself. Sure, I'd love to. Um, so like a lot of 90s kids, I started with the uh, holy trinity that was the Batman animated series, the X-Men animated series, and the oh. Spider-Man animated series. Nice. And then when all of those ended, I didn't want it to end, and that's when I started going to comic shops. And so I've been a loyal, mainly X-Men fan ever since, which explains why I went to FlameCon dressed as Jubilee. <laughs> wow. Nice. Vampire Jubilee or regular Jubilee? Uh, sort of like Generation X Jubilee, but I guess the very last issue, so I didn't have to worry about teeth or anything. <laughs> kind of did and, and, no ba- and no uh, baby either, right? No Shogo. Yeah, no, I did not bring Shogo, but I was <laughs> thinking after the fact that that would have been a really smart way to differentiate. Because yeah. there were three really hardcore Jubilees there that like did the whole thing, and I just kind of found a yellow denim jacket and thought, oh, I'm just going to be kind of a lazy Jubilee. <laughs> uh, hanging out at the mall Jubilee. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Popping gum the entire time and as many times as I could, pulling my sunglasses down and saying, yeah, a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, Jubilee, too. That was That's clever. That's where it's at. Yeah, that was my uh, terribly cheesy hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you been reading X-Men all the way through um, the last, like, X-Men Blue, X-Men Gold, Into Extermination? I think I've read... X-Men consistently since the Matt Fraction issue 500. Nice. Uh, so yes, I'm, I'm up to date on uh, 
actually I'm a little behind on blue because once the poisons and the venom X thing happened, I was like, I just can't, I can't do that. Yeah. But I'm up to date on gold. I'm head over heels in love with X-Men red, like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And my last piece for the site actually was a review of Mr. And Mrs. X, which like you guys, I'm a huge Kelly Thompson fan and she did not disappoint. That book is a blast. (laughs) So fun. Um, Cool, cool, cool. Um, in your bio for the site, you talk about a thesis you wrote on, not not the X-Men, but superheroes? Is that it? Yes, it was. my. Uh, so my undergrad degree was in English, and instead of doing you know Dickens or Jane Austen or whatever, I had this pitch inspired by the Tumblr of the Hawkeye Initiative. Mm. And so basically oh. I did uh, gender construction from Wonder Woman to today. So I did you know a big chunk on Wonder Woman. Storm is one of my favorite comic characters like in my top three of all time so i did a big chunk on her and then kind of a thing on spinoff so like your captain marvel slash miss marvels your she hulks and your Supergirls, uh and it was yeah it was really really fun a lot of the professors didn't like it but <laughs> the other students i think really enjoyed it nice and you got a degree i'm assuming so i did i, I worked did. out <laughs> if carolyn coco were your professor you'd have gotten 110 yeah and published, she would have thrown you in a book. Published, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, cool, cool. So, tell us a little bit about FlameCon. You know, um, was it your first con experience or just your first FlameCon experience? So, this is my thir- third or fourth con, I guess. I went to uh, a couple of cons in Texas where I grew up, and then this was my first one of this size, I would say. And I picked a good year to go because the previous two years they've been in Brooklyn. And then this year they moved to a hotel in Times Square. Mm. So it was huge. And they did a great job filling up the space. They had this really incredible artist alley. So, you know, there were some big people like uh, Chris Anka was there, Kevin wow. Wada, Jen Bartel, Irene Coe, uh, who does the Avatar comic books. Um, but then they also had some like smaller, you know, more internet-focused, fan-based people, and that was really fun. Uh, Carrie Peach, who's doing the graphic novel for the Adventure Zone podcast, uh, she was there, and Hannah Blumenreich, who just is one of those people that, you know, you see uh, one drawing by them, and then you just have to go down that rabbit hole and find everything they've done. Mm-hmm. She did that that big spider zine a couple years ago on the website about Spider-Man walking the girl home. So right. she was there, and she sold that. She sold some, some great prints, one of which I bought. Um... And yeah, like I said, it was just, besides the big people, there was just a great roster of local New York-based artists, as well as people who'd come far and wide to uh, to sell stuff. Nice. There are quite a few big names on here. I'm kind of bummed that I missed this. I feel like I didn't see it anywhere. I didn't know oh. about this. <laughs> yeah, I only knew about it because uh, some people I made friends with arguing about X-Men on Twitter told me about it a couple months ago, and, and I just decided, well, since I live up here, I'm going to go, and it was a blast. Yeah. Went to a couple panels. I played Dungeons and Dragons for the first time. Uh, got my butt kicked in a uh, Super Smash Brothers tournament, but you know, still had a good time. Cool. I think next year this is going to have to be on the list for Carolyn yeah. and I. Yeah. And maybe Bob. Yeah, I, 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 I <laughs> somehow thought this was out of state or something, and here it is, right. I know. Around the I'm looking at. It, I'm like, this is in New York, and I missed it. I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, what were some highlights for you? You mentioned a couple, but you know, what was the top of the pops? Well, one of the big things that I came away from was, man, I really need to watch this Voltron reboot. And so now I'm obsessed <laughs> with Voltron. It I've watched so a good. season and a half in like three days. Oh, man, I love it. I'm mad I slept on it. Um, but really just had a great time kind of meeting some people I've really admired. And the panels that I went to were very insightful. They all had technical 
difficulties, which, you know, just happens. Mm -hmm. uh, but got to go to a great one that was uh, a bunch of uh, female and queer artists re redoing basically kind of problematic superhero costumes. That one was called Fangirl, but make it fashion. <laughs> and so there were some really fun kind of redesigns of how to, you know, ideas to come up with better alternatives to certain costumes. Psylocke was, of course, a prime example, as she always is. Mm -hmm. Sort of the queen of problematic there, and I say that again as an as an ex fan. Hmm. And then also went to one that was you know pretty inspiring. Just kind of it was called the Squad Goals, the here and now of diversity in comics. And it was Cena Grace, Chris Anka, and Mariko Tamaki. So three creators who I love, wow. but they really just talked. I think very powerfully about kind of don't let yourself get down or feel invisible. And I think. You know, obviously, and it sounds like you guys are going to talk about this a little later, but in the past couple of weeks on social media, I think people have really stepped up to make those of us who feel more or less on the fringes of comics fandom feel like we're a big part of it. And I think that's kind of what the weekend was all about. At one point, uh, Cena actually said, you know, the whole point of this weekend is that everyone deserves to be the hero and we all deserve a chance to feel celebrated and represented, uh, excuse me, represented and, you know, heroic. And I think that this weekend was that weekend was a really successful uh, interpretation of that. Yeah, uh, that's why I, I, you know, did you get a chance to read his Iceman um, run? Oh yes, yeah, <laughs> every I, issue, and I and I talked to him a little bit about little bit about the new one. He's really excited about it. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, he was such a good pick for it, and those issues were just fantastic. Um, ben just made a bold move with that character, but but handing it over to Sina was was a, a great choice because. It's just his voice and the way that he handled it was just really, really spectacular. Um, cool. That sounds awesome. Yeah, and it's it's cool that you were able to like experience that right in the middle of everything that's going on, uh, like you're talking about with all the representation questions and everything. Um, you mentioned cosplaying as as Jubilee Lee. Um, <laughs> Jubilee. Do you cosplay often? Was this a first time thing for you? This was actually a first time, and wow. I knew that I wanted to do it because I thought, well, this hopefully is going to be such a positive experience anyway, and I really want to, that's something I've always wanted to try. And then when I got the press approval and decided I was going to cover it, I was like, well, I have to do this. And the very first person I saw when I walked in was a really amazing Jubilee about two rows over. <laughs> so I just, I just kept an eye up for that other yellow jacket and made a wide circle around them. So we were never in the same field of vision. <laughs> and I think I got away with it. And there was a great moment when I ran into two people at the same time dressed as Quentin Choir. So I got a picture with them of just like, you know, teacher with, I guess, a twin version of her worst student. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was just really fun to kind of express outwardly someone who I always have really identified with uh, inwardly because, I mean, she's so annoying on the TV show, but that's a shame because if you actually read the 90s and 80s comics, I think that she's kind of the last great character that Claremont wrote. Yeah. And her voice is so specific, and she actually is laugh-out-loud funny, and watching her with Wolverine is, you know, equal parts hilarious and heartwarming. I think she's just as good of a Wolverine mentee as Kitty is in... That I know that's a controversial opinion, but <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel. And so it just kind of, at the end of the day, the fact that it went well, you know, it just kind of made me feel like I was uh, doing one of my favorite X-Men proud. Yeah. Yeah. Lee, are there photos of your cosplay somewhere? There are. I have a few that uh, I can I can send to you guys or I can put up in the, the write-up that is now quite overdue. 
<laughs> hey man, no worries. Take your time. So I have one that a that a friend took of me, very tired at the end of the day, sitting on the fountain outside the Plaza Hotel with a cigarette dangling out of my mouth. One, <laughs> <laughs> and this woman in the background, just like so confused about this person with a huge X Men patch on their jacket. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, awesome. That sounds like such a great great weekend. Um, would you recommend it for for everyone to go next next year? I really would. Um, it's the kind of con that if you wanted to throw yourself into it, you could make two days out of it and kind of come and go. But also, if you just wanted to go up on a Saturday or a Sunday, you could have one full, really great day with it. I'd awesome. say that if you know there wasn't a panel going on and I'd been through the artist alley, I kind of felt like I was on the edge of running out of things to do. But again, the the talent roster, both known and unknown to me, was so good. Everyone was so nice. I bought so much great stuff i mean now i have a print of spidey torch which is the ultimate comic book ship <laughs> in my opinion um on my walls even if it was just for that it would have been worth it excellent um <clears throat> before we let you go and um just talk about what are some of your favorite books out right now things that you would recommend to our listeners well like i said earlier uh, x-men red deserves all the praise it's getting i think the issue they had last week is honestly the best comic that i've read in 2018 so far oh. it was just perfect from panel one to panel last it was oh man it was so good and everything tom taylor has put out for marvel has been pretty stellar and i'm really excited for this uncanny x-men lineup obviously i can't speak to if it's good or not but based on the people that they picked it's just like all of my favorites bishop is back cannonball's back but yeah. Other, uh, other book-wise, I mean, yeah, X-Men Red is the big one. I can't recommend Mr. and Mrs. X enough. I'll read anything with Rogue in it, and this is a very good Rogue book. And I was, I had a really good time with the first issue of West Coast Avengers, too. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely talk about that one later, yeah. too. Um, uh, uh, Joey mentioned earlier that you're a Dazzler fan, so did you catch her appearance last, was it last week? Oh, in Astonishing. Yes, yeah. I did. Number 14, uh, I guess that was. Yeah, I'm really excited to have her back in a comic. You know, A-Force was good, but I personally was not a fan of the Bendis redesign. I think that if the Dazzler's punk, the punk punch, design. she's not going to do yeah. it that way. I mean, she kind of <laughs> did it. She had the Pat Benatar hair. She had the bandana. Um, she had that sleeveless leotard thing. Oh, I guess all leotards are sleeveless. Mm. But anyway. <laughs> so so I, I kind of felt separated from one of my favorite unsung heroes, uh, it's funny, I must have a thing for X-Men who shoot light out of their hands, but yeah. um, Allison's one of my favorites. I think she's really underrated, and I think that she's someone who can be written so fun because you know, she just doesn't really care that much about being a superhero. Yeah. <laughs> she just kind of goes where she ends up, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to see her back in a book, especially one with Beast and Warpath, who are two of my other favorite X-Men. Warpath, nice. We're going to the back yeah. wall here. I like it. I'm going to ask you a question now, Lee, and hey. and it's it's going to decide if you're on Team Bob or Team Joey here. Uh oh. Um. Uh oh. Scott Summers. Scott Summers. Scott Scott Emma or Scott Jean? Scott Emma, not a doubt in my mind. Yes. Oh. <laughs> yes. If you want to have a special episode, like a, a Patreon goal thing of the just people debating, I will sign up. I would spend hours out of my week, you know, saying how much better Emma is for Scott than Gene. Oh. Well, actually, it's more that Scott isn't good for Gene. I 
and I think Emma's really good for Scott, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Scott had I to love- he, he had to go through Gene. You know, we understand that. That was part of his growing yeah. up. But once he had Emma, that's it, man. Yeah, I love the fact that Gene is around in a scenario without him. And mm-hmm. I thought for a while it was going to be without Wolverine. You know, that hasn't really panned out. Oof. But I'm still excited for her. I think that she deserves either some single time or a new ship. Personally, I'm rooting for Namor. I think Gene and Namor would be a great dynamic. Ooh. Yeah. You know, talk like ultimate power and super ego versus <laughs> ultimate power and super, you know, generosity. Yeah. I, I think they would be a really interesting pair. And even if they're not going to get together, I love them in a book together. Yeah. But yeah, Scott and Emma all the way. I am life and fire incarnate and Imperious Rex yes, put together. Exactly. That sounds great. Um, bring back the Defenders. Namor is going to be back around, so you never know. We might be entering yeah, I'm, a golden That's another nature. one that I'm hyped for. Yeah, uh, that that foursome is such a great group. I don't know how they came up with that in the first place, but it just feels so natural, even though it doesn't make sense. <laughs> so I'm I'm excited to be reading that in a in a few months. Totally, uh, awesome. So Lee, thank you so much for everything you do for the site. Some of your reviews are fantastic. You did that the review of Dazzler, um, the Mag Visagio book a few weeks ago too. That was just spectacular, um, and we look forward to. Um, your your pieces on FlameCon. Could you give us a little tease of what what uh, what you might be putting up for that? Sure. I think I'm just going to kind of do a a general play by play of Saturday and Sunday, and kind of Jubilee getting more and more tired and seeing more <laughs> Jubilees as the day goes on. But then also just kind of talking about the the overall themes I think of the weekend, and definitely kind of analyzing the fandom stuff that happened because I was really surprised at how much non-comic stuff there was it was almost more than straight up you know superhero or whatever comics themselves there was so much steven universe stuff and voltron stuff and i think that that shows again the power of kind of synthesizing representation and nerddom is that if you just give people a place to be seen then they're really going to love your product and you know i hope it's something that some of the other stuff that was there takes away as a lesson awesome yeah, we're looking forward to it. That sounds amazing. And thank you so much for going to FlameCon for the site and um, sharing your experiences with us. Yeah, thank you guys so much for, for sending me and for having me on today. It's been a blast. Awesome. Yeah. You'll probably see us at FlameCon next year, too. Right? <laughs> yes. We'll, we'll yes. do a whole 90s theme. Or we'll divide the entire con into uh, Gene Scott and Emma Scott. <laughs> yes, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have a... a a dodgeball game or something. Yeah, it'll just be Bob on one side and everybody hey, else on the hey. other. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you, Lee, so much. Thanks. All right, thanks again to Lee Henry for yes. joining us on the show. That was awesome. Um, keep your eyes on TalkingComicBooks.com to uh, see his coverage of FlameCon and pictures of him as Jubilee Lee. Um, I I, I kind of want to ask him if he could post his dissertation, but uh, that might be a that's a bit much. <laughs> that might be a stretch. Um, but that was that was awesome. And uh, keep your eyes peeled for FlameCon for next year as well. Yeah, <laughs> harumph. Um, that's, that's a big harumph right there. Melissa, did you want to talk about a new comic book shop? Yeah, I just wanted to briefly mention, um, I discovered recently via social media that there's a new comic book shop in my area called Mega Brain Comics. Um, and I noticed them because they were posting some really great stuff about like female empowerment and equality and representation in comics. And I thought, these guys are doing something right. And so um, I had to stop in there 
uh, one day, very briefly, I had my my mom was visiting and she was waiting in the car. She wasn't interested in going to the comic book shop with me. But I took Max in with me. Um, and uh, yeah, and it's awesome. Uh, Mike, I believe, is the owner and he was super cool. He was right there behind the desk. Um, and we got into a big conversation immediately about podcasting. He hosts his own little show um, after hours right there in the comic book shop. Um, trying to find the name for it. Reality Bomb, it's called. Sweet. Uh, Comic Cast. Yeah, and um, and it's cool. He's got he's got a really good thing going there. He's uh he's doing like tabletop game nights and trivia nights. He's got a um, what is he called? It? It's like a comic book art night uh, where people get together and try to draw various characters. Um, he's got all kinds of cool stuff going. Um, and. As I approached the door on the front door of the, I, I posted it on my Instagram for all of you who follow me there. Uh, he's got a bunch of female characters on the door, uh, like Captain Marvel, Miss um, Marvel. He's got, uh, let's see, who else do we have here? Um, uh, Devil Dinosaur. What's her Aww. name? Bob. Um, yeah, Lunella. Thank you. Um, Thor, female Thor. He's got all these ladies all over the door, and then it says "fight like a girl," and this is on the front oh, door. Yeah. Um, and they've got a really, really great like the whole whole big section at the front at the front desk is a kids section, um, with lots of female characters on the walls. It's just fantastic. Um, I haven't gotten Carolyn in there yet, but we're gonna take another trip up. Um, and I saw that right after I left, um, he had Mina Elwell in there, who is the you guys remember me talking about Halicious. Mm-hmm. The funny little book about the little girl in hell. Um, she's the writer of that book. And she was in there just a couple days after I stopped in. Sweet. So, yeah, it's a really cool. I don't know if any more of our listeners are in the Hudson Valley area in New York, but um, they're in Rhinebeck. And, yeah, it's a really cool little shop. And it's it's a little bit, it's about 40 minutes away from me. So it's not super close, but, you know, not having a local comic book shop that I love currently. Um, I'm going to try to make more trips up there and, you know. He even handled my son's complete crying meltdown at the front desk Aww. really well. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Uh, he Max wanted Pokemon cards, and he had uh, Yogio, Yogio, and um, Magic: The Gathering, but no Pokemon cards. So <gasps> Max immediately crumbled into a crying mess and went to the corner. <laughs> poor Max. I mean, to be fair, I totally would have to. <laughs> Well, there we go. I made the first kid cry in my new business. <laughs> you got to get that out of the so, way. First dollar, first kid. Yeah, you know. yep. it's going to happen. <laughs> That's awesome. No, great little shop, though. If anybody's in the area, you guys should go check him out because he's doing a really good job there. Sweet. That's a very artistic town. Don't they have that big festival every year, every summer? Probably. There's a, I, there's a lot of festivals around here. I don't, okay. Um. <laughs> There's, there are like that's all we do around here is have festivals. As soon festivals as the and warm, antiquing. There, I mean, there are pickle festivals, garlic festivals, you know, mm, bacon garlic. festivals. Every Ooh. every festival you could think of under the sun. Nice. Um, yeah, the the Dutchess County Fair happens there, which is one of the largest county fairs I think in in New York. Um, we just went to it this weekend, but it's huge. I mean, people come from everywhere to go to it. So, but Rhinebeck is a tiny little town. It's one of those villages, you know. Yes, Hudson Valley tre- Village, trendy little village. Yeah. Nice, awesome. Mega Brain Comics. Yeah. Best right. of luck to them. Yes. Sounds like a good place to be. And you might even catch uh, Carolyn and I in their show at some point. 
Yeah. Ooh, interesting. A little insider info right there. Okay. It is time for the lightning round. Who's going to go first? Spin the bottle. (gasps) Me, I'm going first. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm going to go first because I don't think mine's going to be long. And uh, Bob has like 20 books on his list. so It's hysterical that you never want to go first when Steve is running the show. No, it's like part of my character. But now that I'm in the, now that I'm in the captain's chair, I have to like adopt a new persona. Wow, Captain Joey. Yeah, I'm an actor. On the grandest Cap- stage, talking Capital comics. letters. <laughs> an actor. All Four. capital letters. Yes. <laughs> the A is capital and the O is capital. Capital vowels. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, I'm going to go first, and then uh, we'll, we'll pitch it to someone else in the room. Timer start. Okay. Um, first book I want to talk about is Shanghai Red number three. I've talked about the, the previous two issues as well. I'm really enjoying this book. It's from Chris Sabella and Joshua Hickson for Image. Um, it's about our character, Red, um, who is a pirate who was also kidnapped into a pirate's life. And she, you know dressed as a boy and uh she (laughs) led a mutiny and took over the ship and made her way back to portland so that she could exact revenge on the people that kidnapped her and put her into a pirate's life um that was all in issue one uh issue two she exacted a little bit of that revenge in issue three she actually finds herself in a hotel run by her sister who uh, there's a wonderful kind of conversation between the two of them finally reunited. They talk about their mother. They talk about their disparate lives. Once uh, Red got disappeared, basically, Uh, she didn't know where she went. It's a wonderful issue. The writing is fantastic. There are little hints of the supernatural and the bizarre strewn subtly throughout. Um, We talked about Sabella last week with Crowded, number one. The fact that he can do that book and then this book as well is just... I think a testament to him, but the real draw here is, is Hickson's artwork. It's so pulpy, so rich. It's very much a Chris Samney kind of style. And I'm really, really into it. I really enjoy this book. If you haven't read it, we're only three issues in. I definitely recommend uh, picking it up. Um, Mr. And Mrs. X, uh, number two, Lee mentioned this when he was on before Kelly Thompson and Oscar Bezaldua with Frank DeMarta on colors. Um, we last saw our happily wedded couple Rogue and Gambit fighting off Shi'ar Imperial Guard in space while pursuing a mysterious package at the behest of Sharice. Rogue had gotten sucked out into space and Gambit was overwhelmed. Uh, and then Deadpool showed up and saved Rogue. Crazy. And that was the end of issue one. Issue two is some bats bat crazy Deadpool stuff as he pines for Rogue, his one true love, at least in his crazy mind. And Gambit can only watch as their ship is blown out of space and crash lands on a nearby planet. When Gambit finds his way down to the surface, he finds Rogue absolutely fine. And Deadpool running off with the mysterious egg. Hilarity ensues. TechNet shows up from Captain no. Britain. Yep. Kelly Thompson hitting those deep cuts here. <laughs> um, wow. And the egg ultimately hatches in a bizarre twist at the end. Um, fun, energetic, and filled with Thompson's trademark spunk. Mr. and Mrs. X captures everything I love about the X-Men. Namely, Gambit and Rogue, obviously two of my favorite characters. Um, and that deep cut continuity. Like I, the, the best part about reading X-Men is when some character shows up from like claremont's run from 1986 you know and and like and i just i love it it's so good and that wacky sci-fi hijinks i think is is kelly thompson really has a 
a very specific handle on the X-Men that I think is uh, harkens back to some of those 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 great good old type, good old uh, stories. Um, and the last thing I want to talk about is By Night, numbers <gasps> two and three. Yeah, we haven't really talked much about John Allison and Christine Larson's By Night since the debut issue a few months back. Uh, so I wanted to check in on the misadventures of reunited friends Heather and Jane as they venture deeper into the strange and eerie interdimensional rift they discovered in a back room at Charlesco. Which, fun fact, I when I read, I pronounced Cholesco, which, <laughs> which, is, which I now understand is Charlesco. Anyway, um, issue number two hints that the interdimensional rift is actually kind of like classic horror there's a werewolf and the women the ladies are aided by like this green troll thing um when they get out they immediately want to go back in under more controlled circumstances so jane is a scientist after all so she brings on her partner uh barney to be their observer um and at the end of issue two the girls get stuck in the alternate dimension and barney has no choice but to reach out to heather's father former charles co-security guard chip to help Uh him out uh, and issue number three is a little weird. Uh, came out last week. Um, follows the two men as they try to figure out what's going on. Uh, sketchy things go down. There's some odd occurrences. There's this weird like punk scene where this dude sings a song about ferrets. It's really odd. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like this book. I-, I like the concept. I think John Allison, as we know, has a knack for witty, character-driven, eccentric storylines. And Christine's Larson's artwork is just spectacular. I will say, though, that so far the series is is moving very slowly. And I know we're only at issue three, but I just felt like even issue three, I, like, I, I, I didn't really care that much about Chip and Barney uh-huh. kind of walking around the old compound. Like, it, I wanted to know what the ladies were up to off yes. in werewolf land, you know? Um so you know they're getting chased by poltergeists or what i don't know like it could be anything and and i i I wonder if there's my time i wonder if um because john allison knows that this is a 12 issue story he's kind of stretching it out uh whereas with giant days for example it was a limited six and then he got extended uh i don't know but i'll definitely keep reading by night i have a feeling it's gonna read better collected um and that's my lightning round. I was just going to ask that question. Thank you for answering it before. Yeah, no, I think that, like, you read Giant Day's single issue, right? I do now. You guys got me. I was reading it in trade, and oh. then it was, no, I need to read it No, every I'm month. still reading it in trades, but by night, I'm reading it issue by issue, and I'm like, I have a feeling this is going to be better collected. Just because, like, this past issue, issue number three, was like, Heather and Jane weren't in it at all. It was Chip and Barney kind of just roaming around the compound, which is fine. We got a little bit of background. There was some intrigue here as uh, Charles' co-executive showed up and some pieces were put together. But at the same time, I was like, you know, this is a, totally a secondary storyline that a whole issue is dedicated to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's definitely like middle of a trade. <laughs> like, right, like you yeah. kind of separate Doomsday from the main line. clock number four. Yeah, like. exactly, exactly, exactly. Oh, Doomsday Clock. Remember Doomsday Clock? <laughs> I think we have to wait yeah. another issue for Doom, another month for uh, Doomsday Clock, right? There's no issue this month, I think. No. Um, yeah, so that was me. Um, Bob, are you ready? Sure. <laughs> Lightning round, go. Leading off, I'll go with Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur number 34 by Brandon Monclair, Natasha Bustos, and Tamra Bonvion. Things are super tense and extra strange at PS20. 
there's the usual new student thing, but made more difficult by the fact that one of them is Princess Fisk, stepdaughter of Wilson Fisk, ex-kingpin of crime, and now mayor of the Big Apple. And the other is, well, the other new student is named Devin, but he's actually Devil Dinosaur accidentally transformed into a nine-year-old boy by Lunella in her attempt to curb their mind swaps. And in the upcoming test ordered by the mayor, whose results might cause the school to close, and there's a little bit of super villainy shenanigans, and they might actually be a nice change of pace. As always, book is an absolute delight, and those supervillains are someone we were talking about a lot last week, just saying. Next, I want to highly recommend that fans of the characters, and of course the writer, pick up Gail Simone's Red Sonia Tarzan when the trade comes out for Dynamite. This issue number four is just out. It brings Sonia and Lord Greystoke back in time to Samaria as they try to repair the fractures in reality created by Isan Duel, the hunter. Miss Simone brings in much deep fantasy history in the forms of Miriam, who's wed to Korak, Tarzan's son, from some of the Burroughs books, as well as a connection to the John Carter of Mars stories. As you'd imagine, Gail Simone has a fabulous handle on what has made Red Sonia and Tarzan iconic, and with Walter Giovanni's art, who is her partner on her Red Sonia run, it's just a perfect match for her story, and this is going to just be a fabulous binge read when you get it. Speaking of icons... Wonder Woman 53 by Steve Orlando with art by Echo and Hugo Petrus with colors by Romulo Fajardo Jr. Marks another very, very positive step forward for this series as Mr. Orlando has shown across his three issues that he gets what Wonder Woman should be about for it to be at its best as a series. Uh, he had a stellar first issue that reestablished Diana's compassion for everyone, enemies included. Uh, <sighs> These last two really have built more on that by combining that aspect with a mystical adventure battle fest, which speaks beautifully to her intelligence and her ability to work within a team. Alongside the new Aztec and old uh, frenemy Artemis, you gotta, Diana's got to build some unity, and that might be all that can save them all from the very angry Aztec shadow god Tezcatlipoca. I think I got that right. At least I'm close. Uh, quickly, so as not to spoil, Life of Captain Marvel 2 by Margaret Stoll with art duties split between Carlos Pacheco and Marguerite Savage delivers a couple of emotional gut punches launched from the events of last issue, which I don't want to spoil either, just in case you're trade waiting on this one, but also sends it to motion what seems to be an antagonistic interstellar link connecting all these events. Margaret Stoll's Captain Marvel run when allowed to be its own thing, has been uniformly excellent, at, but now it's actually soaring to new heights. Finally, I took a shot. I picked up Planet of the Apes Visionary by Dana Gould and Chad Lewis, which adapts Rod Serling's original script from the first Planet of the Apes film from back in 67. He wrote the screenplay in 64. Mr. Serling's draft hewed closer to Pierre Boulet's novel. This is a quite different world the time tourist astronauts find themselves in but there's no lessening of the tension nor the socio-political commentary. Some of the dramatis personae and events are the same, but the differences are stark, opening up new story angles and emotional responses, and the ending, although different, still packs an amazingly powerful punch. That is it for me. 
Nice. Wow, Bob. Nailed it. I was like, is he going to go over? But, of course, he's not going to go over. How close was I? 37 seconds. Oh, piece of cake. Yeah. Um, he routinely brings twice as many books as the rest of us <laughs> and somehow manages to squeeze it into that time. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> I, I, I agree on Life of Captain Marvel. You know, it's a it's a different kind of book. You know, it's I, I was reading it and I was like, I'm sad reading yeah. this book. It is it is a sad book because I mean Carol's in a dark place right now. She's gone through some stuff, and obviously, like you said, you don't want to spoil it. Um, the I love those Marguerite Sauvage pages. They're they're so good. Yeah. She's so good. Um, the the character design though that Pacheco has for the. Um, Let's say the visitor. I won't, I won't yeah, go into too much detail. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is like one hundred percent based on like this design for like this mutant from Generation Hope. Did you read Generation Hope? Nobody read Generation no. Hope. Um, there was a there was a new mutant in, in in Generation Hope that was also looked similar, and I'm I'm wondering if Pacheco. Did that book too? I I don't know if I don't know. Salvador Espen did that one, so it wasn't the same. But like, I was like, I was looking at this character, and I was like, I feel like I've seen this character before, um, but it's not the same. So I love it. I I think that it's uh, it's a really cool book, and um, I didn't realize that there was a Life of Captain Marvel run with Marvel before. Yes, back way in the, back. yeah, way back. Yeah. I actually saw a random issue of it. Um, in 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 Hudson, New York, this past weekend, we stopped in a record shop and they had comic books on a rack. Wow. And I started looking through it and I was like finding like some cool old stuff. None of it was in good condition. And like he was just charging like a dollar to five dollars for every issue. And I was like, man, he doesn't know what some of this stuff is. You yeah, know, exactly. like some of this stuff is actually probably worth a lot more. But he had like Life of Captain Marvel. Like, issues three through five. He didn't have one and two. If he had had the whole set, original kind of first printing, it probably would have been good. But, um, yeah, I was surprised to see that, having just read uh, this, too. So I think that's a cool little throwback that Marvel has going uh, with this book. Did you see there was a... uh, I'll digress. Not that I ever ramble or digress or anything. (laughs) Um, there, There were a couple of articles about the fact that, considering... That for Black Panther, we were already seeing this far out little bits and pieces of things. Very silent about Captain Marvel so far. Yeah. And then, and then out of nowhere, there was the cover of some Spanish movie magazine that had a uh, an artist rendition of, of Brie Larson in the, the Captain Marvel red and blue outfit. Yeah. So it's like, oh, so you got to be overseas to read about it. Yeah. Come on, Marvel. I, I'm ready. You know, I don't know, man. They just finished filming maybe a month and a half ago. Um, Clark Gregg posted that weird cryptic thing that was like 15. And everyone was yeah. like, oh, 15 days from now, they're going to release the Captain Marvel, Marvel trail. I mean, trailer. I mean, who knows, man? Um, I see another rumor now that like they're going to release an Infinity War. Not Infinity War. Like Avengers 4 and Captain Marvel trailer in November back to back. Ooh, look, okay. the second something drops from Captain Marvel, it's gonna be, it's gonna be wildfire. <laughs> like that's, it's gonna yeah. be insane. I think people are chomping at the bit for that movie. Um, Maybe that's it. They're trying to build intensity. Oh, one hundred percent. And like the the fact that like Infinity War is now on DVD, 
too. So like like the people are still doing theories and ideas and screenshots and all this stuff from Avengers Infinity War. Like that movie has legs. Black Panther too, you know, especially yeah. with all the Oscar stuff going on. Like people are still talking about the last few Marvel films. Um so I think Marvel's just like sitting back and they're just gonna like go ahead, keep talking, you know, and yeah. and they'll drop something like they always do. They'll just like boop, here it is, and people will go crazy. Yeah, the internet will break. Yes, the internet will shatter. It breaks like once a week now. Yeah, well that is true too. <laughs> Higher, further, faster, more. more. Captain Marvel. Oh, I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna cry. <laughs> George, the shirt you got me is sitting right on the couch in front of me because I knew I would talk about it. There you go. Um, Melissa. You guys ready oh. for some non-superhero stuff? I love it. Yes. We need it. We need it right now. <laughs> Can I pull you out of your, your uh, Captain Marvel stupor for a moment? I need to <laughs> reset the alarm and we're going to go in three, two. God, count me down. One go. <laughs> okay. Uh, first, I'm going to talk about a study in Emerald. It's a trade paperback from Neil Gaiman and Raphael Albuquerque. Uh, my friend Steve told me to read this, I think, two episodes ago. And I literally ordered it on Amazon while we were podcasting. Wow. <laughs> so now I have it. Um, it's published by Dark Horse. It's a Sherlock Holmes Lovecraft mashup. Mm-hmm. A study in Emerald is both both lavishly written and expertly drawn by Gaiman and Albuquerque. I would expect no less. Um, In this universe, Cthulhu creatures have returned to the world from their ancient slumber to guide humankind out of the darkness and remove us from the responsibility of deciding our own destiny. These old creatures now reside in places of power, specifically as the protected and highly regarded royal families, where they extend great control over the power and money in society. When one of these royals turns up brutally murdered, Sherlock is brought in to help solve the case, and watching him pinpoint minute details that the average detective misses is very fun. I won't say this did much to expand upon the Sherlock character, uh, it's well established in our literary history, but combining this work with the otherworldly influence and tentacled slime of Cthulhu does put a creepy new spin on it all. Um, as I said, Steve told me to get this, and sometimes I listen to him. <laughs> not all the time yeah. but i did and i really enjoyed it it's a very cool little book um and it comes in a nice tidy little hardcover um the next one i want to talk about is death of love trade paperback this is written by justin jordan art by donald donald delay i'm i'm sorry i know i'm masquering that name colors by omar estevez and felipe sobrero letters by rachel deering it's published by Image. Um, this is a very weird, odd book, which I think I said the last time I talked about a Justin Jordan book. So, hey, dude, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the best I can explain is it's like Evil Dead with Cupids. Um, yeah. Philo Harris is the guy who likes to think of himself as the nice guy, but just can't understand why he hasn't caught the girl of his dreams yet. He's fawning over one of his best friends, Zoe, who doesn't seem to acknowledge him as potential date material. His other best friend, Bob, bluntly reminds him that he's not as nice as he likes to declare himself. And that Philo is, uh, quote, doing nice things because he thinks it's like putting tokens in a vending machine where eventually uh-huh. sex will fall out. <laughs> uh, Philo is approached by a sketchy character in a bar who offers unidentified pills. And he swallows a few, expecting a good time is guaranteed. Instead, he starts seeing cupids everywhere. Cute little guys with arrows who deliver love, but also turn out to be nasty little bastards when they've been discovered by humans who aren't supposed to see them. 
<laughs> Lots of blood, guts, and accidental murder ensue, <laughs> which is when the story really goes off the rails and straight into evil dead ter- territory. Among the gore, there's a story with some heart here as Philo's forced to recognize who he truly is and how he self-sabotaged his chances to love and be loved. It's a wacky, weird story with bright, obnoxiously splattered blood and body parts covering full pages at a time, but it is damn fun. Um, And the last one I want to talk about is Aphrodite V. Uh, I read number one and two. The writing is by Brian Hill, art by Jeff Spokes from Image Comics. In the near future, Los Angeles is a city on the brink of evolution, struggling with a new wave of terror fueled by black market technology. Enter Aphrodite V, a fugitive from her master, seeking individuality and purpose. She's the bleeding edge of biomechanics and L.A.'s best hope against a new enemy, one that seeks to become a god among machines. One machine wants to destroy the city, another has come to save it. Only one will survive. This is basically a high-tech sci-fi technology takes over story, one that sounds similar to what we've heard before, and I'm not going to try and say that it's all that unique. A billionaire tech genius wants to buy and control L.A.'s police force to start implementing his A.I. security forces. A mysterious A.I. that claims to be God is hunting this billionaire. And a beautiful and badass droid of some kind appears appears just to save him, claiming only to be searching for a new purpose besides the one her creators made her to do, which is kill on demand. All of this will sound fairly derivative and familiar at face value, but it's really well done in that crowded genre that it lives in. The art is stunning and expressive, full of powerful action shots that remind me of the grace we saw in Atomic Blonde. Uh, Jeff Spokes uses color to quickly shift atmosphere from page to page, and it's really impressive. The story and the artwork super well together to create an action-packed momentum that's not common or, I believe, easy to achieve in comics. The books move along like a film, never resting too long in conversation without something new exploding all over the page. It's straight-up robot fun with tons of fighting and shooting and a smart underlying story addressing how our society is evolving under the weight of rapidly progressing technology. Aphrodite V is well worth adding to your reading pile right now. Nice. That's it. What? Who's the publisher on that? Uh, Image. Nice. Yeah. I checked into a little bit of Death of Love. It's it is nuts. <laughs> it is absolutely uh, it is, nuts. It is absolutely nuts. It is sort of. It's not a. I'm saying this badly because I'm just throwing cliches out. But it is sort of the the bro rom com version of I Hate Fairyland. <laughs> it, it has some of that weird vibe of okay, anything can happen. Day. Like you say, there are these cupids flying around in craziness and gruesomeness and horribleness and an undercurrent of winking, knowing comedy. And you do kind of feel for him a little bit because he's just a schmo. He's really just a schmo who doesn't quite get it. But I, I what I saw of it, I really enjoyed. I, I went through the first, well, I guess would be issue. So was it a single issue comic first and then collected? Yeah, was, okay. yeah I, I read the trade. So it's number one through five. Gotcha. I didn't see this. I didn't see it when it was out in single issues. I just decided. No, I didn't either. I like when trades pop up randomly that I'm not familiar with, so I can read a big mm-hmm. chunk. Well, well, you're the person who got me to read the other Moon Girl, <laughs> yeah. which, uh, which came out singly, and I bought it from I think Forbidden Planet, and I, I love that. So, the other is I've read Study in Emerald, but I read the short story twenty years ago. Oh, really? Yeah, it was in a collection I bought of uh, as a Lovecraftian person. 
there was this uh, collection of short stories called Shadows Over Baker Street, which is a whole bunch of sort of Holmes Lovecraft things. And I think it was the lead-off story. I should have pulled it out. It's right sitting on the shelf over there. Uh, and I, I think Neil Gaiman's story was the lead-off. And it was a great, great short story. Well, I'm just going to throw this out there right now, even though it's not the right time in our notes for it. Um, Bob is going to be joining me on the next Sirens of Scream episode, which is an H.P. Lovecraft episode. So, so excited to be coming It's the first H.P. Lovecraft episode we've done in over two years of doing the show. So we've saved it for Bob. There we Um, go. And I thought, yeah, I thought this is a perfect time to read this because it can kind of be part of my research material for that. So, Yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun. There's... um... There's a lot to discuss because now that he's popular, as opposed to when he was actually writing stories and he wasn't, there's so many avenues to go down, so many adaptations in so many forms, and so much influence. Ah, I'm, I'm thrilled. Now, I did, I did your, what were we doing, the history of horror, horror movies, the last yeah, time I was on? And I that think was, so, yeah. Yeah. That was a lot of fun because you, Sierra, and Jackie are amazing hosts, do tons of research. So I got to be on my best behavior, too. This this one's mine, so there might not be that much tons of research. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm uh, sure. I'm uh, sure. I, you know, this is, a, I like this, um, my, my lightning round this time because sometimes, you know, I have things that um, I know I'm going to read and it's easy, like, okay, I'm going to love these books. There's just no... Um, a Studying Emerald is pretty obvious. I'm going to love it because it's two of my favorite creators. But both Death of Love and Aphrodite V I, are ones that like I looked at them and I thought, I don't know if I'm going to like this, but I'll, I'll read a little bit. And I got yanked into both of them and couldn't stop. Nice. I mean, I read five issues of one and two of the other. So, yeah, that's great. You never it's know. fun to find those little surprises, right? Yeah, you never know what you're going to like, you know? Yeah. Well, what, what's great for us is when... We do our open discussions, which is coming up any second now. Someone throws a book out, and it's, I'll try that. And all of a sudden, you have a new favorite. Wow, i got to keep reading that. Yeah. Like, Joey's cost me, I don't know how much money in in things <laughs> like Giant Days. and oh, I, But it's good. It's money well days? spent. I don't think I brought Giant Days. I may have brought Giant no? Days. I thought you did. I may have. I was for a stretch there. I was the only person reading Boom Books. Yes, yes. That's what I'm saying. I'm pretty sure it was you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm just gonna flip my hair at that one. You know, our, our, our number one publisher. Boom. Boom. You never, you never go wrong with a Boom book. Um, let's jump into those those lightning rounds. Uh, not those lightning rounds. The open discussion there, uh, Bob. Since you're got the the talking stick there, let's talk about the big one. Kelly Thompson, West Coast Avengers. Avengers number one. Number one. Let's go. Do it. St- Stefano Caselli, Triona Farrell, Joe Carmagna on letters. Okay, look. Since I'm leading off, I'm not going to give you a plot recitation, but I will say this. We'll get right to this. Any book that has giant land sharks and references one of my favorite B-movies of all time, Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, is going to get a whole lot of leeway in my review. Now, that the book was also so full of good humor in both the sassy and self-deprecating kind, uh, a a hugely knowing grasp of these characters, and topped with a wondrous sense of the absurd, it checked all the boxes 
which, as it was written by Kelly Thompson, is clearly no surprise. Uh, as to plot, briefly, after saving Santa Monica from the land sharks, Kate and Clint realize that the left coast is kind of unprotected from supervillainy and, and such, and start the process of assembling a team. Now, already on board are America Chavez and Kate's uh, newest paramour, boyfriend, whatever you want to call it, Johnny Watts, now going by the nom de super fuse. <laughs> nom de super. Yeah. The, uh, the interview process is incredibly funny. And I believe it's referencing an old Roy Thomas George Perez Fantastic Four issue where the Frightful Four were interviewing for new members mm. because Medusa had thrown them over for, for, for the goodness. And it's just absolutely priceless. Uh, I mean, first, first hire, Gwenpool and Quentin Quire, who we mentioned earlier, who comes with funding. Provide they let him fill a reality TV documentary. <laughs> While all this is going on, their first mission presents itself. And it's Greer Nelson, a.k.a. the cat, a.k.a. Tigra, who is now 200 feet tall. <laughs> she comes into town like Godzilla. And the last page, holy mackerel, I... Look, as a, as a first issue, this is, for me, how you do this. You introduce the team, you put stuff out there, and this is the tone of this book. This should run for decades. <laughs> and... What'd you think, Joby? No, I mean, you, you hit it right there at the last comment. I think as a first issue, Kelly Thompson hit the tone perfectly. You know, like, this is a funny book. It's energetic. It's dynamic. It has a great, great kind of hook to it. West Coast Avengers has always had a great hook to it, right? Like, mm -hmm. it's always been like, hey, how come we don't have an Avengers team out here, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, it's always been a little bit lighter to... Um, the interview sequence is fantastic. I love those interview sequences. Anytime you do one, Bendis did one when, when Luke and Jessica were looking yep. for the babysitter. Babysitter. You know? Uh, it, it happens in mystery men. If you remember that movie, Ben Stiller, yes. great times. Um, you know, like those interviews, those interview arcs are, are those interview sequences are always so, so funny and so, so good. Um, oh, and this, love... the, 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 the one, two page spread where you get, uh, Kate and well, Breadman. Yeah, Breadman. <laughs> and and Diva is it's looking at Kate's facial expressions. Yeah, Ew, gross. Yeah, totally. You know, like it's because it's it's a great extension from what Romero was doing. Yes, on the original Hawkeye run, and we love that Hawkeye run so much. Um, and this is a great continuation of that. Um. I, I think Kelly Thompson has the best grasp on, on Clint and Kate. I think, obviously, from her Hawkeye run, too. Mm -hmm. I do want to hear more from the other characters. She's clearly having a hell of a time with Quentin and Gwenpool. Yes. Uh, but I feel like America didn't get enough of a focus here. And, and I just, I, I love Clint, love him to death, but I'm ready to be done with Clint. I'm not going to lie. Like, get him out of there. We don't need him. Um, you know, but, uh, even though he is the legacy member of the West coast Avengers, yes. um, the, the book is fantastic. It's a great number one. The artwork is spectacular. I got the same vibes when they, you turn the page and it's a full page splash of, of Tigra up in the water, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, the land sharks are great as well. It's just a great first issue. Kelly Thompson, you know, breakthrough writer, man. She's, she's had a great year a couple of years now and i think that kate bishop is a is a great kind of um 
great kind of you know uh, vehicle if you want Kelly Thompson in a nutshell read a Kate Bishop book by her you know like everything yeah. that she does well she does with Kate and it's just a great great comic and I'm excited I'm excited to see where it goes yeah me too it, it was one of those books with, with, with her run on Hawkeye where the fraction Aja run is one of the who, I, I don't care. I, I I deal in hyperbole. Say it. It is it is one of the the best runs of comics ever. ever. Right. In its twenty two issues or wherever it was, and however long it took those last couple to get out, so much was done absolutely perfectly for a smaller book to do what it did. It's hard to follow that. And Jeff Lemire did okay following afterwards, took it in a slightly different direction. He more did Kate great. Clint I'm just going to throw that out there for the listeners. Okay. He did great. <laughs> okay. Uh, different. It was very different. Kelly Thompson's version of mostly Kate with some Clint eventually is, is, is great in its own way in a very... 30 screwball comedy kind of thing and yet at its heart the story of kate and her mom and dad and what's going on with madam mask there's some serious undercurrents and that's what for all the craziness of land sharks or whatever that went on this issue as we go we know we're going to see that other part of kate too and we'll see the rest of that pulled in and that's what makes to me i think kelly thompson's work so special it is all those layers and they're always there. And once it's all percolating properly, it's just a joy to read. Yeah. And, you know, like I was saying with Mr. and Mrs. X, too, which, for the record, is still not a good name for that book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I that out there. But anyway, um, Thompson is so clearly a fan of the comics and a fan of the character. She knows the history. She knows the character. She knows the canon. And she's dedicated to advancing it, too. She's not beholden to it, which I think is such a great balance. What I love about West Coast Avengers number one is that the book's, the first issue's kind of main focus is Kate Bishop is ready to lead her own team. And that is such a great continuation of the Kate Bishop story that started back when Fraction was writing it, you know? Yeah. Like, and back all going all the way back to Young Avengers with 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 um, Alan Heinberg like and Jimmy Chung like the, the what you're seeing is a genuine effort to move Kate and to move her friends forward while still honoring the West Coast Avengers and and Hawk and Clint and all the stuff that's come before and I think that what Thompson is able to do as a writer and then have all of that captured beautifully by the art team. Um, it's it's just exquisite. It's a great, great first issue, and I'm so glad that she gets to continue the story. You know, like this happens every time when Fraction and David Aja were done with Hawkeye. We were like, "What's going to happen?" And then Lemire and, and Lemire took over, and then what's going to happen when when he finished those twelve issues? And oh, Kelly Thompson's going to take over, and then that ended. You know, and it's always just like. The, the Hawkeye story could always just keep going. And, and here we are in West Coast Avengers. And I think it's going to be a great another layer added to those characters. And we swirl in America Chavez, who I'm, I'm, you know will get a bigger slice of the pie moving forward. Oh, totally. And 
her book by Gabby Rivera was great, and I'm sorry that disappeared so quickly, but it was in a self-contained, wonderful nine, ten issues, whatever it was. Maybe Tigra even shows up as part of this. She's an Avenger she from would. way She's back. She's a West Coast Avenger too, if I'm if yeah. I'm not mistaken. So I'm I'm all for putting all these crazy characters together. And look, if you add, we've got West Coast Avengers and the Defenders coming back. Yeah, it's it's you know it's the 70s and 80s all over again, and yeah. that's cool by me. We just need to have Great Lakes Volume Three. Yeah, why not agents of hate how about agents of hate? oh next wave gonna get that next wave going it's gonna be good elsa bloodstone's back apparently in, in jessica, jessica jones. jones yeah you know monica rambo might be in captain marvel who knows and maybe they will well, drop think, some yeah. next wave yeah see i'd be down i mean everybody would I, be down let's be real yeah. i don't know if they'll be able to get warren ellis but <laughs> that's okay we can we can find someone to do that sadarsky <laughs> could do it Oh man, Zadarsky. Zadarsky on Next Wave would be awesome. I think it would work. That would be ape shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would love it. Captain I... ape shit. <laughs> I actually. It's, it's funny that you guys mentioned that because I just saw uh, Bill Sienkiewicz, um published uh, or shared uh, an old picture of uh, Fin Fang Foom that he did oh, a while back today. The Finster. Fin. <laughs> yeah. Fin Fang Foom is like. He's like, if Solomon Grundy is my DC fave, Finfeg Foom is my Marvel fave in terms of ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous, like, gimmick villains. Oh, I see. He did it. It was for uh, for Kirby Day. Nice. Oh, he did it, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. What if they had a crossover? Solomon Grundy and Finfeg <laughs> That would be awesome. I'd be there for that. <laughs> Solomon Grundy riding Finfeg Foom. Yes! And destroying Asgard. That's what I want. (laughs) Asgard. (laughs) While singing Wagner tunes. Yes. Singing for the Valkyries. That's what I want. I don't think Fin Fang Foon gets ridden by anyone. (laughs) Yeah, you're not wrong. People in the pants. He can ride in his underpants, yeah. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I would love to see Solomon Grundy just kind of like his hands on the pocket, just his head poking out. (laughs) Poking out. I think it'd be adorable. Singing. Yeah, it'd be cute. (laughs) <laughs> Solomon Grandi, Solomon Grandi, Solomon Grandi. There you go. <laughs> New series. We just wrote it. We just did it. Let's get Zdarsky on it. All right, here we go. Here we West go. Coast <laughs> Avengers number one. Check it out if you missed it. It was fantastic. Um, let's jump over to another pod faith. Colin Bunn. Now I, t- I Bun. pitched it to Melissa to take the lead on it before the show. Let's see if she's the ready. Bun man. Here the fun go. man. Go for All it. All right. Uh, we're going to talk about Cold Spots number one. Uh, it's a psychological terror. The undead and a supernaturally bitter cold come together in the spine tingling new series. It's from Colin Bunn and Mark Torres, who did Zombies vs. Robots Undercity. Uh, ten years ago, Dan Kerr turns his back on his wife and unborn daughter. Now both mother and child have gone missing, and Dan must face cosmic terrors to find them again. He soon finds that ghosts stir when his estranged daughter is near, and as the dead grow restless, the cold deepens. Um, this is super fun. I actually read this. I think I teased it to you guys a few weeks ago. Yes. Um, Because I Cullen, actually being the, the cool guy that he is, had put out on Twitter that if anybody wanted to get a sneak peek at this, he, that they could. 
a few weeks back um and he uh gave me a sneak peek of it and i couldn't talk about it back then but uh it's really cool and kind of plays on that idea that, you know, when ghosts show up, everything gets chilly and cold and frozen, um, except for it takes it to a whole different level because it's Colin Bunn. Uh, so, yeah, super creepy ghost story. Um, you know, at the center of this um, is this character, Dan, who's this kind of brooding bad guy. Uh, I don't mean bad guys and like villain. I mean like bad boy, you know, yeah. um, it's one of those film noir detective guys. Yeah. You're not sure what side he's on. Exactly. Yeah. It kind of gives me like a Cal McDonald kind of vibe, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, uh, he's, he's called to the home of this rich dude who, uh, is the father of the, the two girls who have disappeared. And we find out that Dan, um, was in a relationship with his daughter and abandoned them some time ago. Uh, so his, I guess, kind of would be father-in-law. Um, kind of awkward. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. very awkward. It's very awkward. Uh, but this this book is, is super moody. It's super dark. And like the artwork is very kind of blurry. So the whole thing has this kind of like dreamlike feel about it. Um, with like Jeeves hiding in the corner in the shadows all the time. Yeah, poor little Jeeves. <laughs> Um, but the when the ghosts show up, I think they're very cool. Um, it's a very different look for ghosts. It is. It is they're kind of like a demon ghost kind of thing. But um, I don't know. They're the kind of ghosts that I feel like they give you the impression uh, in this book that maybe people think they're there for a nice reunion. But when you see them, they don't look like they're there for a nice reunion. So. Yeah. Ask the guy in the ferry shop, right? The, the yeah. ferry office. Yeah, he doesn't turn out too well. No, no. It's it's super creepy. And um, I don't want to spoil anything, but like I said, it gets extra cold. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I found what it. What do you think, Bob? I loved it. Uh, it's, Cullen Bunn is just a modern master of horror. He really is. And in, in every place he wants to set it he seems to have it right this is more of a new england mid-atlantic kind of kind of setting tons tons of atmosphere a really interesting setup with uh, arthur warren and dan Carey is what's going on with them you have a mystery you have sort of that pre-credit sequence with with the older couple mm-hmm. louise you can't you can't watch the boys <laughs> and she's looking out the window and it's like ah there they are. <laughs> Creepy shadow boys. <laughs> exactly. Playing soccer and riding on the swing set. And it's, oh, no, I wasn't expecting that at all. We we don't get a lot about the lead yet, really even a lot about what it is. But Cullen Bunn sets this up so well that you know that as we move forward, you're going to get these bits of information and it's going to deepen the story in its own pace and he paces things so well that it's, all right, I need to know more. And it, it's when you get a first issue where, why did this end? I, I want like 28 more pages right now. <laughs> and uh, that's the way I felt walking out of it. I just want to know more about how these two guys don't like each other. Why? What happened? Where? What are these characters moving forward? What's going on with these ghosts? Uh, superior first issue. Thank you for putting this one on my radar, Melissa. Uh, as uh, you know, 
um, at a, during a, a second read through of it too, I've uh, found a couple little more information bits dropped in there that I think I missed on the first read through just because I was kind of focused more on the ghosty stuff happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, he mentions some kind of group of people, the men in the gray suits. Yeah. Mm. That the, that the little girl's been drawing and, and Jeeves kind of mentions to him that, you know, like he introduced the mom to some people to make some friends. Um, and, and so we don't know who they are. I don't know what was up with the hamsters. Like drowned hamsters in a cage. What happened to the hamsters? (laughs) He's like, well, they've been dead for a while. And Jeeves is like, no, you don't know. And then he puts his hand and won't let him finish. I'm like, but let him finish. I want to know what happened to the hamsters. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's lots of little clues dropped in here. Um, And I think, you know, uh, what I just thought about, Bob, is I know we talk about Colin on this show a lot, but I think what he what is impressing me about him as the as the years go on and we read more from him is that he really is there's there's writers out there that get the hang of like southern gothic horror right or they get the hang of like you know there's stephen king who's got that that main mm-hmm. northeastern horror going there's the people who do like the the oregon like washington deep woods horror really good but colin bunn's kind of all over the place and he yeah. seems to be doing a really good job of like all different kinds of yeah. horror yeah he's dipping his feet into everything even like mythological weird you know, Bible-based horror. (laughs) And Bone Parish, which comes out this week, too, in new number two, down in New Orleans. You know, you go back to Harrow County. Like, it's it's nuts. And, yeah, I love this issue, too. I thought it was... First of all, I want to say, I thought Mark Torres' art was fantastic. I thought it was so, so stunning. It was perfect, perfect. That sequence you're referencing with the... Where she's like, I'm watching the boys play. I was like, oh, God. (laughs) I don't want to turn this page, you know? I can imagine Joey covering his eyes Eek! <laughs> I was like I had it on the iPad and I was like I don't want to swipe <laughs> like I, I know what's gonna happen if I swipe this page and it was scary there's just some graphic not like graphic like gory which I think is another great thing too you know Bun can do the gory stuff you remember the unsound right and the freaking needles and stuff everywhere oh. it was in the hospital like oh that was that was messed up but this isn't that. It's different. It's it's chilling, you know, and and a cold spot, right? You know, but it it was like you said. He's 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 the guy. You it's know? very classic ghost story, like quiet, slow building. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm. And you don't really know what's gonna happen next issue, you know. Like no. the, he's it's a, he's great at mood his first issues are always mood, you know, like he's not going to unload a lot of plot on you. It's going to be, this is the world you're in. And it's, it's scary. And I'm into it. It's amazing. It is, it is scary. And comics can sometimes try to be scary and don't get it. This puts that chill in your spine. It's like, Ooh, what's going on when the guy in the ferry store, not me to spoil, starts saying, I, I knew you'd come back, baby. I'm sorry. Oh, oh. come on. You're killing me. Oh. That's, oh. Yes, uh, we know nothing's good coming next. Nope. Oh, great stuff. I get asked all the time why I can do all this horror coverage for comics and and every you know movies and TV, but I can't play horror games. I find them just too scary and I can't I can't get into them. Um 
so I, I think it's because with comics, especially like you said, Bob, it is hard to find a horror comic that's really that um, engaging or that makes you that makes you really feel the horror. It always feels a little removed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Colin Bunn does a fabulous job of that, and you know, like uh, most obvious example would be Harrow County. Absolutely. Um, of the like, he he does have. He's just getting better and better at writing these horror comics that um, make you feel more invested and more wrapped up in the in the university's building. Yeah, because well, he, he does. He builds a world, builds a universe. The characters inhabit them, and they seem rooted, grounded, real, even in mm-hmm. an unreal setting. Right. And if you just have caricatures and not characters, it doesn't matter. And here you have. You have two leads who are sort of, as you said, they're, they're bad people as the leads of these books, or at least conflicted. And I'm still interested in what's going to happen and why. Hmm. Well, that's good writing. That's just solidly good writing. Nice. All right. Two great new series from two great writers. Our faves, <laughs> Kelly Thompson, Colin Bunn. Um, pick them up. Pick, pick them, them up. up. Get the books. Get the books. The books. <laughs> Read the books. Uh, all right. Before we jump into the uh, news of the week, the firestorm that was the, the twit Twitter sphere <laughs> this past week, um, I did pitch a fun little question for Melissa and Bob to answer this week. As I come upon the end of my summer vacation. I wanted to so know. Was, what did we do? What did we do on our summer vacation? No, that wasn't my question. question. I know what you did. You were on talking comics every week. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> um, I wanted to know what y'all's top five comics, pop culture, sci-fi travel destinations were for a long weekend or extended vacation. What fictional place you would want to go to on a trip? Um, I wasn't able to tweet this out to our, our listeners. I'm sorry. I don't have access. I'm not the main oh. guy, so I don't have access to the twit. Wow, uh, you're as bad as I am. I know. That's it's great. crazy. Yeah, I only, yeah, I just go through, I do all the clerical stuff. Anyway. I'm going to I'm gonna share it to everybody tonight just because I'm yes. interested in answers. There yes, and let, yeah, people can still chime in. We want to hear. Great. But... That doesn't leave you guys off the hook. So no, no. Oh, by the, and by the by the way, let me just throw this out there. Buried somewhere in our website, though I don't think she's put one up recently. Bronwyn was doing a whole series of was it the oh what was you know I should have looked this up before I started mentioning it. She was doing travel destinations yes. and doing whole columns about weird places to go and visit. So yeah. you should check those out. And Sarah does the 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 Brit True Brit True Brit. She has a new one up this week, as a matter of fact. There you go. But Bob... The highest house. Yes. Where do you want to go? Well, I think this first one, it, it's not an extended vacation, but it's a, it's a two-stop trip because they're in the, going in the same direction. So I'd make a stop at Jurassic Park. Oh! I'm a dinosaur How did I guy. not think of that I one? I know. I'll put that Jesus. on my list. I when I saw the movie the first time, and the the, the jeeps come around the corner, and and Laura Dern grabs, you know, uh, Sam Neill's head and points it toward a brachiosaurus. I had the same reaction he did. So 
I definitely want to see Jurassic Park. But while I'm down on that part of the, that, the, you know, south of the equator, I think we then take the next jump and go to the Savage Land. Oh, that's that's much further south than Jurassic Park, though. Yes, it is, but it's, it's in the, it's in that direction. <laughs> and I've got and I've got and I've got the Blackbird. I've got the X Men's Blackbird. Right, so I'll okay. be there. And I'll be there like in a second. So definitely want to do that. Uh, nearer to home. I would certainly want to spend, like, I don't think they do it as an Airbnb, but I would certainly like to stay overnight at the Baxter Building. Of course. I want to see the missile silos. I want to see the negative zone. You know, I want to hang out with the Future Foundation and Dragon Man and all that kind of stuff. I've got to, got to go there. Got to go to the Baxter Building. Um, I nearly did this in, in, in an odd way about... 40 years ago, probably, maybe it was 35, doesn't matter, years and years ago, I would want at least an overnight in witch-haunted Arkham, Massachusetts, and Miskatonic University. Get out of here. <laughs> Absolutely. I spent time in Salem, but to, to be able to, to walk into the Miskatonic Library and ask you know, Professor Henry Armitage, could I look at the Necronomicon for like a couple of hours? Mm. Not, you know, I wouldn't do anything bad. I wouldn't call down the elder gods or the great old ones or whatever. I wouldn't, Yogg-Sothoth wouldn't show up on the, on, the, on the quad or anything, you know. Just want to visit, see those places, walk down the streets. Seriously, though, many years ago, I actually wrote to the Providence Chamber of Commerce. And back then, they hadn't really embraced the whole idea of H.P. Lovecraft being the son of Providence and whatever. Now there's actually monuments and uh, the home he once lived in and so on. His papers are at Brown University. And it was in his stories, he was writing about real places in Providence or in Salem, in Boston. So it, Miskatonic, I'm, I'm for that. Uh, I hope I didn't steal this one from you, Melissa, but you you could beam me up to the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of it. It's not on my list, but I thought of it. Okay. Uh, hang out with, you know, Kirk and Spock and McCoy and, and, and the crew and, you know, hope to not get into trouble with Harry Mudd or Tribbles or whatever. And, not, and I hope the Klingons don't attack and I'm the guy in the red shirt. Oh. I'm, you know... Move me up in time a little bit. Maybe I could go uh, visit with Gary Seven, who's actually from the 1960s, as, as I am. You know, could be that. Nice. Finally, finally, this is this is real deep, and we'll, we'll, but I'm going to go for it anyway. I would like to visit the 1960s London of the John Steed and Emma Peel Avengers that Brian Clemens created. You know, I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> really? Yes, I had a feeling. Go ahead. No, it, it's it is it's very specific for you to guess, Joey. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Hey, my uh, whole life. Brian Brian Clemens in in interviews uh, then and now always said that his characters were the epitome of what Britain was to people who weren't British. It was this sort of Avengers land that was different than everything else, and his characters had to be in their own little special world of eccentric professors and oddball people and diabolical masterminds. And I'd love to spend a couple of days. So that that's my grouping. 
That's a good list. Thank you, sir. Right. It was a great question. So how could I not come up with good answers? You know, I'm just feeling a little feeling a little down that summer break is ending. I wanted to ask, you know, get, get a little <laughs> get a little of that hype back. Um, <laughs> Melissa, where would you go? Well, I realized when I started trying to answer this that I couldn't put very many comics on this list because I read some gloomy ass comics. <laughs> I want to go to Harrow County. There, but... <laughs> There's a lot of places in my favorite comics that I do not have any interest in visiting. So. <laughs> um, my number one answer, and these are not ranked because I'm terrible at ranking my favorites, but my number one answer was Hogwarts. Oh, and nice. that was the easiest answer for me to come up with. <laughs> to be honest, it's the first thing that popped in my head. You know, like, who wouldn't want to visit Hogwarts? I mean, really? I want to meet everybody in that place. I want to see all the photos on the walls. I want to find the hidden doors. I want to, maybe not the snakes and creepy dog things behind some of them. But, you know, um, yeah, I think Hogwarts would be amazing, too. Um, and not like Disney Hogwarts. Like, I want the real Hogwarts. <laughs> Um, my second one would be a, I want to do a space cruise ship tour of the saga planets. Oh. Like, like maybe a cool, like tree cruise ship, you know? Um, it's gotta be the, the, the tree rocket. Yeah. yeah and like, yeah. and cruise around and get to see like each of the planets. Um, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty cool. All of, I I was I actually tried to look up. I'm just gonna say, if anybody out there can make me a good list of the various planets that have been talked about in Saga, I would love that because I couldn't find one. Um, There's not like a Saga wiki. I, I I mean I couldn't find like a I couldn't find like a clear list of like these are planets you know and these mm-hmm. are information because I was gonna pick one but I couldn't find LV LV four two seven. That's where you want to go. Yeah. My number three choice, I'm really surprised that Bob did not choose. Oh. <laughs> um, but I I would be amiss if I didn't say Themsyria. Um, oh, yes. I mean, it's like the best beach vacation in the world, right? <laughs> Out of this world. Uh, yeah. Um, I want to go. I mean, I would feel terribly like, you know, um, uh, I don't know. What's the word? uh uh, it's small and weak and <laughs> and underprepared. As would we all, yes. <laughs> um, on an island of Amazons, but uh, I think that would be an amazing place to see if I could go on vacation. Should uh, my... that one myself. <laughs> I was Absolutely. I was waiting for you to say it. I was like, damn it, he's gonna say it. <laughs> <laughs> um, number four, I picked Fable Town and the farm from Fables. Oh, nice. I think it would be super fun to meet some of those characters. Um, I know the setting isn't super glamorous, you know, it's like a, a hidden town in the middle of Manhattan, which That's okay. there probably are those in the middle of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think it would just be really cool to meet a lot of those characters. And like, I've always wanted to talk to pigs, you know, <laughs> as, as um, a fan of Orwell's animal form. I agree. Right. Uh, and then my last choice would be Rivendell. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, which uh, are we getting into the. Chilling Adventures of Sabrina version of Riverdale? No, 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 not Riverdale. Rivendell. 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 What's, okay. With the uh, elves. Lord, Lord of the Rings, yeah. Oh, okay. Because yes. it's full of handsome elves who would teach me awesome archery skills. Yeah. And it's beautiful. It's full of waterfalls and mountains and valleys. And, and they got that bread. Lots, lots of glorious blonde <laughs> hair everywhere. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I want to go to elves, elves' land. 
Nicely done. That's good. Yeah. yeah. That's funny because well, I wanted to go to, to uh, I wanted to go to Mordor is where I wanted to go. <gasps> no, I'm just kidding. Um, actually, my number one was uh, New York 1985 Watchmen universe. No, I'm just kidding. That's also <laughs> that's also. It's just hard before... to come up with comics references that aren't like scary or unsettling places <laughs> I, to you're go. Not wrong. Um, no, actually, I think that the the first thing that popped into my mind was Wakanda, like. I want to go to Wakanda. I want to go to Wakanda, man. Like either the film one or even in the comics one. Like it's just, it seems awesome. Um, just to like, like, just look at all the stuff, all the technology, art. Like it'd just be nuts. Fly the spaceships, be crazy. And now Wakanda's up in space. It's crazy. Um, number two for me was. I really want to go, and I guess this would be a local trip, so maybe just a weekend, but I want to hang out at the X-Mansion. I want to hang out at Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters or the X-Men, or X-Men Outreach Center, whatever the heck it's called now. Um, actually, now in the middle of Central Park. Yeah, isn't it? exactly. I don't want to go when it was in limbo. That would have been weird, but... Um, no. I want to actually... Up, up in Westchester would be fine. Oh, totally. Absolutely. Um, actually, I want to go to Utopia, which is the repurposed asteroid M that Cyclops and Emma Frost (laughs) raised in San Francisco Bay to house the remaining 200 mutants, because that's awesome, and it's the Bay Area. It's very nice. Frisco, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I want to go to Asgard. When it was in Oklahoma, <laughs> like when it was floating what? above Hovering Asgard, three feet above yeah. Oklahoma. I want to go there. You know, I could drive there, road trip down to Oklahoma, and then just climb the rope ladder or whatever it is up to Asgard and hang out with the Asgardians, what? and then I could just climb back down, road trip back, maybe stop in, you know, visit Mara in Arkansas. Absolutely, yeah. hit Nashville yeah. on the way home. There's a lot of <laughs> options there. Um, this one I want to do. Partly because I just want to go to London generally. I want to go sleep on the couch at 221B Baker Street. Oh. I want to hang Mrs. out. Mrs. Hudson's not going to be happy. You know, I want to help out on an investigation. <laughs> I'm pretty smart. I, I want to be a Baker Street irregular. I, think I, love that, I love that idea, but I wouldn't want to go outside of Baker Street. No, <laughs> you get sure. murdered. There's so much scary stuff happening outside yeah. that door. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Um, and the last one on my list is um, I want to go to the Power Rangers Command Center near oh, Angel Grove, California. A, because it's California. It's probably really nice out there. B, because it's the 25th anniversary of the Power Rangers on TV here in wow. America. Very excited about that. And I want to just be there for the inevitable celebrations that are going on with Alpha 5 and Zordon. Over the, out there in the command center. It's morphing time. If you're at the command center, okay, what color ranger are you going to be? Oh, I was always orange when I was a kid because there was okay. no orange ranger and orange was my favorite color. Although now that I'm an adult, orange is no longer my favorite color because that's <laughs> just ostentatious and, and, and brazen. I've switched more to a very sophisticated purple. So I, I think I could yes. rock the purple ranger. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I look really good in purple. Something about my olive complexion. And that's important. That's important. Oh man, I, I Rangers, like uh, our choices here. Good. By the way, a lot, a lot of traveling. I like it. I like it a lot. 
Cool. I definitely, I yeah, I'm sad that I didn't think to put Asgard on my list. Yeah. Well, I'm sad I didn't put Themyscira on my list. Me man. too. <laughs> oh, definitely not going to Harrow County. <laughs> definitely not going to uh, American Vampire. I mean, it's <laughs> Harrow County's Harrow County's cleaned up pretty well now. Not <laughs> <laughs> well, the book is over. If I was a vampire, I would love to travel through time with um, Skinner Sweet. Nice. But I'd have to be a vampire to do it. <laughs> yeah. That is the problem. And that, that brings its own set of weirdness. Yeah. I nearly said Carfax Abbey for those fans who remember Dracula the novel. But it was like, why would I want to be there with Dracula? I'm standing there looking at my bookshelf today and thinking about this question. I'm like, nope. Not nope. that. Nope. <laughs> no, no, that's scary. Yeah, <laughs> not going to not nope. going to Salem's Lot. No, not going there. Even like, even there. like, I'm not going to go spend a weekend in Gotham. You know, like I'm not going <laughs> to. I don't know. Let me see like, what's going on at the Batcave. Like that's not going to happen. I have all these post-apocalyptic stories. You know, and it's like I think, oh, that would be a cool. Bo- oh no, no, there's like sea creatures in that one. Yeah. <laughs> but even no, like, no, that one's terrible robots. Even like Saga, you're going to be like cruising through a war zone. You know, like possibly every planet you go to. Yeah, I don't know. They managed to they managed to avoid it pretty well. <laughs> in their in their yeah. Oh man, I got to catch up with that before. You got to remember the Joey the X Men. You're not caught up. Blown up like twelve times. You're not wrong. No, I have a couple of issues to catch. I read 54, so I'm, I know what happens. But right. I got like a couple of issues to fill in the gap there. I can't I can't talk about it. It's too soon. It's too soon, man. That's why they gave us a year. It's crazy. It's going to be too soon for like four months, so check back with me uh, later. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, thank you for answering my question. I know Melissa just tweeted it out. So if any of our listeners want to hop on, we'll... Read your responses next week to your top yeah. five uh, travel destinations in comics, pop culture, science fiction. Um, Rivendell. That's a very fun question. Not Riverdale. I, I thought it was Riverdale. <laughs> Listen, I don't care what high school it is. I do not want to go back to high school for anything. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, Archie and Sorry, Betty Joey. and Veronica. And... That's fine. Uh, I, Joey, I would have thought you'd have gone to the Backstagers High School. Oh! Yeah, you're not wrong. Technically, also, Shakespeare has been in the comics. So I could go back to Elizabethan England and just hang out there with my good friend Mackers and uh, <laughs> King Lear, you know, Tip and Rosalind. I could hang out with them, but, you know. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. That's what we should do. We should do Talking Comics Shakespeare Theater. <laughs> Talking, yeah, we're still talking. We are going to do something, folks. Look, one of these days, we can bring it up every freaking week. And you guys, just you're not, you haven't done it. I'm waiting for my script in the mail. I sent you a script, Joey. I don't remember that. <laughs> it's called Alienation. It was the sequel to The Mind's Eye. It's in your email somewhere. I'll is send that, it to you again. Is that the one we're going to do? It, we should look at it oh and see. Gosh. Either that or it's, Little Shop of Horrors with the Sasuke sisters. I've been writing to them. They're <laughs> very busy finishing up Rabbit. I they see. They just finished filming. I see all over their Instagram, all their uh, their production shots. Very yeah, yeah. They even they even had real 
lamprey eels apparently on the set. Crazy. Attaching themselves to people and sucking blood out of them. Those Saskas. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Alright, so you know, we've talked a lot about comics tonight, and we started off the night with uh, Lee talking about FlameCon, and for those that have been on the on the twit over the last couple of weeks, um, really for the last couple of years as well, uh, we had some some events unfurl in our ongoing saga rallying against this comic skate thing that's that's going on on the internet mm-hmm. um and we had uh pretty much the instigating moment that started this new surge from these wackos on the internet um was they started railing against Marsha Cook Darwin Cook's widow uh some of these comic skate Dudes posted a video saying uh, Darwin He'd Cook agree with us. Yeah, Darwin Cook would have agreed with us in 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 Comicsgate, and Marsha Cook rightfully stood up and said, "Hey, I'm Darwin's wife, and um, absolutely no, the first not." You know, <laughs> yeah, she and schooled him. as is often the case with these Comicsgate guys, um, they went after her, which is so messed up. Uh, on so many levels, and some of these, some of these responses, which I will not even honor by reading no, here, no. Um, they know just, better than than Darwin's widow what are, he would think. Atrocious, atrocious, yeah. and basically one of the reasons why we wanted to bring it up tonight is because um, over the last few days, you've seen a lot of tweets going out from some big name creators: Jeff Lemire, Bill Sinkovitz, Tom Taylor. Um, uh, which have been retweeted and reposted, kind of calling out Comicsgate and and reaffirming uh, that comics are, in Tom Taylor's words, comics are for everyone and that there's no excuse for this kind of harassment. Um, and I just wanted to read a, a little bit of Jeff Lemire's comments and Bill Sienkiewicz's comments and then kind of go around the room and, and get everybody's thoughts on, on, on this. Uh, I think we've talked about comic skate maybe once before on the show, and, and we've tried to kind of keep it positive, so we've we've not avoided it, but kind of just talked about other things. Um, but Jeff Lemire released a statement after the Marsha Cook stuff was going on, saying comic skate is based on fear, intolerance, bigotry, and anger. The comics creators emerging today are too talented, too smart, and too loud to be beaten by these weak people. It's time we all started standing up for one another. Um, and Sinkovitz posted his response to Facebook uh, saying about Comicsgate, and there's some language in here for our listeners at home. Uh, what you're promoting individually is not some divine creative dispensation. It's just you being an asshole. Collectively, you're a gaggle, a clan, a veritable, ba- veritable bag's worth of douches. Whatever the name you give for your assembly, you're not the Avengers. You're still just a bunch of assholes. And he goes on to say, comics isn't a boys club. It's not no insert ethnic group, gender, religion, sexual preference here allowed. It's a club, a meeting place, a forum for creators of all stripes, like a real life legion of superheroes or a Justice League, only with pen and ink paper and syntax and laptops. Um, stop being creepy, racist, misogynist uncle showing up at reunions and pissing in the punch bowl to disprove your beta standing. Uh, <laughs> stop being the weird cousins the entire world points to as the definition of every comic book note stereotype or do it far away from us. Stop being 
uh, whiny, misunderstood victims, bitching about favoritism, intolerance, and sexism. You're slinging inky black aspersions. Um, you're damn right some corrections need to be made, starting with the guys in the mirror first. And then uh, writer-artist Phil Hester posted a tweet as well that said, I can't grasp how someone could love the Marvel Universe, one full of heroes who are in one way or another outcasts, but who still choose to fight for the world explicitly rejecting them and come away with a drop of intolerance in their soul. Um, and for those that aren't up to date on what the comics gate has been about, um, there's been a f- several great articles kind of recapping everything over the last couple of, of, of days. Um, nonsense. Yeah. Comics yeah. kind of being a group of people on the internet targeting, uh, and, re- and releasing lists of targets. Um, yeah, with all of our favorite all of our writers, phase, artists, people <laughs> kind of continuing amazing. the the yeah. kind of continuing this idea of you know social justice warriors. warriors. People are ruining as comics. opposed to as opposed to wait a minute, I I I I, I want to trademark this phrase and put on a shirt. Those people are anti-social justice warriors. Yeah, because they they have no clue as to what human interactions about in the real world. Yeah, I mean, and the irony, of course, is a lot of the things that you know, some of these comments that were made towards Marsha Cook were like uh-huh. saying, "Look at Marsha Cook weaponizing her husband." And the irony, <laughs> of course, is that what Comicsgate really is is weaponizing a very specific kind of image of what comic books and comics culture is supposed to be, and using that to target people that they view as outside of it, yeah. right? Um, and uh, forgetting that we were all the outsiders until recently. Yeah, we were not sitting at the cool table at lunch. So how about you, you people, you guys? It's all guys. How about you guys get a grip? So what's happened over the last couple of days, as uh, Lemire suggests in his comment, is and Tom Taylor was kind of at the vanguard of this too, uh, retweeting this tweet that we also posted to our, our feed as well, saying, you know, I believe in comics are for everyone. There is no excuse for harassment. There is no place for homophobia, transphobia, racism, or misogyny. In comics, criticism was the original post, but as we moved away from that over the last couple of days, people have rightfully pointed out that comics criticism isn't the problem. It's people that are because comics critics—they're great critics out there. You know, we do it on the show here all the time. You know, like us. us? Uh, no, it's not us. the problem. The, the problem is that this this view of comics, this kind of single idea of what it should be, that that has put up a wall and and is trying to keep people out. But um, did you say a wall? Yeah, you know, I'm doing a little. Uh, yeah. Little, little subtext here. Make, um, make comics great again. Yeah, you know, and uh, and it's 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 so many of artists and creators have picked it up over the last couple of days and retweeting it and posting yeah. it, and that's kind of what has brought it back into the conversation. And we just thought that it, it was worth bringing up just to kind of reiterate our stance on everything, and you know, be um, be that voice if you needed to hear it on the show. So just to kind of throw it around the room. Bob, Melissa, how are you feeling about all this stuff and these these tweets that are kind of in response to um, what's been going on? The, the tweets, I'll I'll jump in. I'll t- I'll take seniority being old. Um, <laughs> we here talking comics. Obviously, very early on, we positioned ourselves because of who we were as, as a safe spot. And we've occasionally been assailed for being the safe spot. I've gotten personally some emails about, well, how could you? It's like, oh, who cares? Just go away. And we try to answer respectfully, and some people don't want to deal with that, and then you you try your best. 
but you try to have a conversation. What's going on with these people is just abuse, trolling, uh, threats. People have had their bank accounts hacked. They've tried to get people fired because they disagree with the idea that, well, comics on the page and behind the page should reflect the world around them. That there should be heroes for everyone. We, we grew up in an era where it was with great power must come great responsibility. And the idea of the Justice League and the, the Avengers and all these things that we can, we're, we're closer together than we are apart if you want to look at it a certain way. But there are some people who feel that somehow their toys are being taken away and what they've loved without them really thinking about it is is just theirs alone. Well, it's everybody's. As as you know, years back, the comic industry was more, not more representative, but there were more books for more kinds of people, and it changed only recently. So let's stop and look at the entire thing. The internet, though, has allowed people to do and say horrible things to each other behind a wall. And even though to some folks it's an inelegant language, German ends up having special sorts of words that end up in interesting places. Schadenfreude, the idea of I, I can celebrate in someone else's misery. But there, there's a word in German... That is, I'm going to mangle this, but here we go. Hanschersneeballwerfer. And that's a noun that means a coward willing to criticize and abuse from a safe distance. Very specific. (laughs) Right. Its actual literal translation is a person who wears gloves to throw snowballs. (laughs) And these folks who want to hide behind their YouTube accounts and Twitter accounts and Instagrams and incite ang- first anxiety, then fear, and, and, and try to literally attack people where they live, at their jobs, because they want it to be the way America was in the Eisenhower 50s. Well, guess what? I grew up in the Eisenhower 50s and, and born then, grew up in the early 60s, and things were not all as great as you you think they were because I grew up then, where women didn't get, they still don't get equal pay, but it was really bad, that African Americans couldn't vote, that the whole world looked like Leave it to Beaver. Well, the whole world didn't look like that then either, but we glossed it over and we whitewashed it. Sorry sorry to use a pun. Let's grow. Let's be better. Let's be bigger. Let's be heroes. Melissa? I'm going to be far less eloquent about this. <laughs> you got to make me follow Bob on this. Um, yeah, I don't remember what we talked about a while back, but I feel like I'm repeating myself here. Um it's just gatekeepers. It's gatekeepers yes. trying to trying to control progress is what it is. And, you know, 
to be perfectly frank, I have very little fucking patience for this. <laughs> <laughs> Good for I, you. I just don't. I have no patience for it. I don't want to give it attention. Um, I know that it requires attention to deal with it. Um, but, you know, the 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 creators that are coming out and, and vocally speaking out against Comicsgate are only moving up higher to the top of my list than where they were before. Um, You know, as if I don't talk about Jeff Lemire enough, (laughs) you know, Um, but I don't, yeah, it's just, it's bullshit. It's complete bullshit. And I just, um, I don't, I don't like gatekeepers in any aspect, really. I think it's, I, I don't think it's any of our job to decide who is doing a movement or a thing the right way and not the right way. Um, and, and, you know, I, I believe in progress and everything. I believe in change and progress. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I don't know. I fuck comics gate. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, you know was, you, you mentioned Jeff Lemire and all those people, you know, what's really special about that for me. I'm glad you brought it up is that it was the class of people, meaning, in this case, white men, staking the new ground and saying, no, this is not right, this cannot stand. And the level of success of those people puts a, puts a new place in the ground for this. That Okay, wait a minute, we're now, it isn't just those people being attacked, fighting back, it's we have to all grow together as a group from those in, in the sort of protected areas who who at least were thought of by those people on the outside creating this comics gate mess. Well, these are the people who are your guys and they're saying, no, you're wrong. This is not how comics are. Comics are for everyone. I mean, when you talk about any, any group of um, underrepresented or uh, marginalized group of people, right? Uh, allies can only do so much and it only goes so far to be an ally. Um, but I think the most important thing to do is to speak out and speak up when it's, when it needs to be spoken about. And, and that's, that's really the strongest thing that you can do as an ally to a group that you're not a part of. Mm. Um, and I think, I think white men are at the, (laughs) at the heart of so many of these, uh, of these problems, um, whether it's, you know, whether it's white men talking about feminism and speaking up about feminism and supporting feminism or whether it's white men supporting, you know, their queer uh, friends and family members and talking yes. about, you know, I mean, it's it it really it, it comes down Vital. to that. Yes. Yeah, it comes down to that. And I think um, I don't know, there's there's a lot that um, there's lots of times as an ally to, to several groups that I feel a little bit of an imposter syndrome of like, I don't know, you know, I, I constantly reminding myself that I don't know how different people feel. Um, you know, as close as I am to the LGBT community and I, some of the closest people in my life that I love with all my heart are part of that community. Um, I, it's not, you know, I'm not a part of that community and I have to constantly remind myself that I don't know what it feels like from the inside, but the best thing that you can do is to speak out and show your support when it's important and when it's hard to, right? Because mm. lots of times it's yes. easy to. It's easy to like just say, hey, yeah, I love I love the queer community. I love, you know, I, I love diversity in comics, but it's hard to speak out about that shit right now because people are people are are, are zeroing in on 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 those who are supporting it and 
and it's a pain in the ass. And I know going through Gamergate, man, that was hell. And like, yes. you know, it just, it was so hard to like to, to post anything and say like, I'm on this side because I know as a woman, like as soon as I put it out there, it's going to be like, Oh God, now I have to dodge and block and yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, I think it's most important to speak out when it's hard, when it's hard to speak out and when it's dangerous and when it's risky. And so I, I give these, these creators a lot of credit for doing that because they are putting a bullseye on themselves. Yeah. And, uh, I, th- I think the, one of the articles that we looked at for this was this piece from Pace Magazine and their yes. comics editorial board, which I think does a great job of, of really unpacking everything and talks about exactly what you're talking about, Melissa, which is, you know, comics gate isn't going to go away because a couple of tweets from Tom Taylor, you know, like, mm. or Jeff Lemire. Mm. But what, it, what, what those tweets are indicative of and have to be indicative of is you can't be silent about these things anymore. If Pandora's box has been opened with Comicscape pouring out, you gotta step in front of it. Push that lid back down. Yeah, yeah, and and it sucks. It sucks, but we live in a world now where it's 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 almost more damaging to be silent. Um, And things like FlameCon, going back to what we talked about at the top of the show, and the visible women that we talked about last week, and drinking those milkshakes, you know, and uplifting. (laughs) Make mine milkshake! Yeah, and uplifting those artists and creators and voices that you love and value, and actively challenging those that try to tear that down, help to fight that good fight, you know? And it is a fight, as every struggle for representation and power and freedom is and has always been, right? Um, students of history, community, culture, humanity know the truth. And that truth is that in a world that veers so quickly and hastily towards the negative, it is vital that you stand up and use your voice for hope and for the positive. And I think that that's what we try and do here at Talking Comics. And we hope that that's what our listeners try and do as well. And if you're not into that, then yeah, whatever. Sorry. We'll, we'll, we'll miss you, we'll miss we'll miss your number yeah bye Felicia you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, we were we watched this video today in my in my um, orientation for the new school and it was this great video if you haven't seen it it's it's fantastic it's a TED talk from uh, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie it's a single story video it's like twenty minutes long if you get a chance watch it on YouTube it's awesome and she talks about you know the dangers of subscribing to stereotypes and subscribing to a single idea of what a story is right and if you if you view comics as what a certain subset views comics as and you play into those stereotypes then you're using that and you're dehumanizing and removing everyone else from that equation and that's dangerous right and she has this great quote in 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 that video towards the end where she says stories matter many stories matter stories have been used to dispossess and to malign but stories can also be used to empower and to humanize stories can break the dignity of a people but stories can also repair that broken dignity and i think what you see in comics now is people turning to that medium as a as a place of respite and a place of 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 power empowerment and it's exactly what we were talking about at the top of the show with lee you know like this enriching community that is growing over the last few years and has always been there as bob you suggested as well but there's this one group that is being loud and saying no this is the story of comics and it's isolating everybody else out of it and that's dangerous and we need to step up and and uh 
fight against well, that. I think it was was it in Tom Taylor's note where he, he described them as a clan and said you that can was spell it. That was Sinkovich. Yeah, you can spell it however you like. Yeah, it's dangerous, and uh, it's, and, and, you got to be vocal. That, it's, it's it's that mentality of this is our thing, and you can't take it. Well, you're not looking deep enough. Yeah. As to what this industry was when it was at its peak, when books were selling many more copies than they are now. When I look at this list of people that they want to blackball out of the industry, these are some of the greatest writers in comics today doing some of the best work. And you want them out because they what they they offend your sensibilities you small-minded peons. I'm sorry. I'm angry now. I'm, I'm, no. Bob said peon. He's getting angry. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. It's, it's, no. Look, I, look I, I'm a liberal hippie from, hippie from the 60s, okay? <laughs> and uh, let's just, I, I don't care. Uh, someone, somebody asked me once, and I wrote an entire piece. Yeah, yeah, I'm a feminist. Yeah, I'm sorry. I am a liberal. My parents were, were born in the 19-teens and grew up in the Depression. And they were Roosevelt liberals. We are all united in this. You can't... If one person's rowing a rowboat by themselves, all you do is go in one direction. You go around in circles. People together can, can reach a goal. Yeah. And no, that's what we need to think about. There's no future... With your walls up. Yeah, absolutely. That's the bottom line. You know, like... I think the the most positive way to wrap this is to recognize that the reason why this happens and why it happens in a lot of movements is because people get scared. Things are changing, Mm -hmm. and the people on the wrong side of it are are scared, and they see it changing. And so, um, you know, that means we're ahead. And that means that we're winning. Because if we weren't, they wouldn't be worried about it, would they? <laughs> yes. Use your voice for hope, man. That's all we got to yep. say. Stories matter. Um, awesome. Uh, so that that's where we stand on that. Uh, before we I'm go, I'm still angry. Yeah. Before we go, <laughs> just let's just run off a couple of books that we're excited for for next oh, week. Oh, it's a good oh, week. I and forgot then, this part. Uh, you guys go first. Yeah, and then uh, <laughs> we'll we'll get out of here. But um, I'll go first. Uh, I just have a couple. Um, it's a weird week because it's another fi- five week. We've had a lot of those this this year. Yeah. It's been a little weird. But um, Scarlet number one from Bendis um, and May Leave. They're they're bringing their book over to DC and and relaunching it. So I'll, I'll probably pick that up. I love the the first run of that as well. Um, there's a new book from IDW's. Um, special uh uh imprint that i'm blanking on the name of that shelly bond runs uh the the black crown black crown that's it um house of muck number one comes out uh this week as well bone parish number two i mentioned before um and i'll probably also pick up uh Penny Dreadful number 11, which is a new new uh, story arc in that book. I love that TV show. Um, so there's a, a new, new issue coming out from Titan this week. And finally, the second issue of, of Extermination. I'll definitely be reading as well. Getting back into those X-Men. Man, we got to get into it. Um, tell us about that one. Extermination? Yeah. Oh, I'll tell you tell all about it. One. I, I want to hear about it. It's going to be great. 
Uh, Bob, what are you looking forward to next For week? For me, we've, we've got two Batgirls this week. 26 oh, yeah. and an annual. We want to see where this is going with McGreed Scott now now on board. Marvel 2-in-1 number 9, which I think was due out before Fantastic Four number 1. But because the delay comes out later, I want to see where that goes. Certainly it's Ms. Marvel this week. Let's see what she's doing with Bruno. Modern Fantasy number three, Kristen Godsnuck. Gotta love that one. And written by Gail Simone, Catwoman meets Tweety and Sylvester. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I mean, you got to get that one. Of course. That's a book you got to buy. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Uh, there's a DC is basically putting out a bunch of those this week. <laughs> yeah, there's a Harley Quinn Gossamer, there's the a big orange monster. Joker monsters Daffy. Monsters are such interesting people. Yeah, Joker Daffy and Lex Luthor Porky Pig coming yeah. out this week. <laughs> it's going to be a hot mess. They're like, what are we going to do with this fifth week in August? Let's release all of our uh, Looney Tunes crossover issues. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, Melissa, did you, were you able to find anything? Um, couple things. Well, you kind of said a couple of them, but um, Bone Parish number two. Um, I haven't gotten into Fraggle Rock yet, so I might try one of those. Nice. Um, let me see. There's a new series called The House of Muck. Yep. IDW. Um, and that looks really cool. I think it's going to be one of those weeks where I go digging around the indie section to find something new and unknown. Oh, I love when <laughs> um, you do that. Anisola number five is coming out, which oh, I'm still loving that. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's a weird week, but there's a lot of cool stuff out there that you can get. X-Files, Case Files, Hoot Goes There, number two of two. <laughs> Always worth a shot, those X-Files Hoot books. Goes There? Um, yeah. Um, Cool. Awesome. So that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Target Comics Podcast. Uh, as always, you can send us comments or questions through our email, podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. We're also on Twitter at Talking Comics. Don't forget to check out uh, talkingcomicbooks.com for news, reviews, and articles about comics, video games, TV shows, and much more. Keep an eye out for Lee's uh, pieces about FlameCon as yes. well. Um, we have podcasts of every type, Talking Games, Valiant, Adventure, Ladies of Valhalla. Um, Melissa has Sirens of Scream with Bob coming on a couple of episodes mm-hmm. for that uh, Lovecraft, which is very exciting. Um, Bob, where can our listeners find you? Well, you can find me at Sirens of Scream this week. <laughs> and I'll be recording Tuesday with us, Wednesday with Melissa, and Thursday for Adventure. We are back. Ooh. We are recording new new Busy episodes. Week. Busy week, there'll be much um, imbibing of adult beverages. Uh, I just want to say, I still <laughs> haven't gotten my uh, Dungeons and Dragons invitation in the mail. I'm just saying, I'm just going to say that. Uh, are you a habitué of the Dragon Realms? No, I'm not. I've never <laughs> played it before in my entire life, so I thought I could at least rely on my friends to invite me to a game, but whatever! I will bring it up at this week's meeting. <laughs> Uh, Melissa, we, where can our listeners find you? Uh, you can find me at Lissa Punch on the tweets and the Instagrams, and uh, like you guys already said a few times on Sirens of Scream. Awesome. And Steve, we should say even more. Steve is at dead underscore anchorist. Yes. And we, <laughs> and we um, wish him the speediest of recoveries. 
uh, over the next few days as well. Um, yeah, he better be back for next week. Yeah. Not dude. that you didn't do a great job, but you're off next week, right, Joey? Yeah, I got a lot going on. A lot going on yeah. in my life. Uh, which you can obviously follow me at Joey Bruccino on the Twit and the Insta to to trace my goings on, if you will. <laughs> um, so, thank you guys so much for listening. It's been great. Thank you so much to Lee again for joining us this week. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Um, so, for Bob... I believe comics are for everyone. There's no excuse for harassment. There's no place for homophobia, transphobia, racism, or misogyny in comics. Melissa? I believe comics are for everyone. There's no excuse for harassment. There's no place for homophobia, transphobia, racism, or misogyny in comics. That's going to do it. I've been Joey. Be excellent to each other. Loan someone a comic book. Subscribe to the show. Rate and review. Uh, And until next time on Talking Comics... To be continued. special game of thrones beer tonight oh Oof. the game of thrones red wine is spectacular yeah really? yeah i actually oh. had it at a two boots pizzeria in alphabet city i don't know how well, it got there, there. You go. it was a good... <laughs> uh, no, two boots is good stuff good yeah. pizza down there i have um it's called queen and it's by omegong and it's like oh, they're yeah, great brewery extra right? blonde so I'm drinking this really it? nice uh, bottle called uh, Poland Spring. It's like um, <laughs> it's like a low proof vodka kind of. Uh, yeah, like maybe extremely extremely low proof. Zero one point five percent. It's like it doesn't even have potato in it. I don't know what's going on. Just don't mix grain and grape. Like, just be okay, yeah. words to live by. Yeah. <laughs>